Der Fußball ist zurück in der zweiten Liga. Rechte Neckfahne mit dem linken Fuß. Bringt den Ball auf den zweiten Pfosten. Tische! Tor! 1 zu 0 für den VfL Bochum. Da draußen ist der Ball frei. Und jetzt ist er drin. Jetzt ist er drin. Und hier ist Botzen, macht das Tor. Trist ist wieder da. Größer ist da. Für Rausch. Der setzt an zur Flanke. Da kommt der Ball. Tor, 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 Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and welcome to the Zweite Bundesliga podcast with me, Johnny Walsh. And uh, as we're coming in off the back of an international break, um, it was time to get a special guest on. We haven't had one for a little while, but before we get on to that, and uh, you will know who it is by reading the title by now. Matt, Eva, how are you both doing? Very well, thank you, Johnny. Yeah, me too, thanks. Happy days, that's good to hear. And uh, the star attraction, if you will, for this week is none other than Derek Ray, commentator known the world around and... Uh, if you didn't know him up until the wonderful commentaries that he's done in the past, he is now the voice of FIFA 19 and the Champions League section of the game. Derek, thank you very much for your time. It's a pleasure, Johnny. It's great to be on talking about what is, for me, a real passion, the Zweite Bundesliga. As I tell everyone, the first football that I ever watched in Germany was in the second division, the Zweite Bundesliga, back in the mid-1980s. So, dear to my heart, and great to be on with the three of you. Thank you very much, Derek. Um, it's music to my ears to hear someone else whose first game in Germany was as Zweite Bundesliga <laughs> game. I know I'm not alone now. Um, I think there's only one place to start, really, and whether Wikipedia is correct or not, we will find out now. But was it the David Francie injury that gave you your first break as a commentator? Yes, it was. That is actually true. And we're going back again to the mid-1980s. And to explain to the listening audience, David Francie was my hero. David Francie was the voice of Scottish football, a radio commentator with a very distinctive Scottish sound. And for a young lad like me in Aberdeen, you know, that was what it was all about on a Saturday. If I wasn't at the game, I'd have the, the radio glued to my ear and I would hear David Francie uh, you know, let everybody know what was happening at the various games. So um, he was my my hero, and I also actually was in touch with him for a few years. He was very encouraging to me in terms of my own ambitions. This was when I was a teenager, uh, when I was making tapes for myself and then uh, moving to hospital radio to, to do work, hospital radio being a, a sort of a uniquely British thing where um, volunteers provide radio services from football matches to patients in hospital. Uh, but it so happened that David did get injured um, in 1986 and they needed a replacement at short notice. And I was that replacement. And the second game that I did in place of David was England against Scotland at Wembley. And um, it's funny when I say that now, I think, my goodness, I should have been really nervous. And I don't know if I was because I think when you're 19, as I was at the time, you don't really know what nerves are. So, yeah, that's how it started. It was all uh, in so many ways, thanks to the late, great David Francie. 
There's uh, worse games to start your career off, uh, or at least your second game anyway, than England versus Scotland at Wembley. But how do you think commentary has changed over the years going back to to those games in the mid-1980s through to what it is now? Of course, you are part of FIFA 19. You've also done 3D commentary. You've seen HD and increasing replays come into play. VAR, of course, has left commentators and fans baffled at times. How much has it been of a challenge to try and adapt to all these different things? I think in answer to your first question, Johnny, it has changed enormously. If you were to go back and listen to commentary of that time, and actually this applies to German as well as English, uh, if you go back to the 1980s, it's almost like a, a different tone. Um, it's become a lot more conversational. It's become, I think in TV terms, it's become a more talkative business. Um, some people might say that's bad as opposed to good, um, but it's certainly become more of a, a two-man setup in English. I know in Germany they're going a little bit more towards that, but not nearly so much as as is the case with English language. And um, I, I just think that with, with a new era comes a new sound. And, and I think that um, it, if you were to go back to, to the 1980s, you, you would sort of be quite surprised to hear back then almost a different language, uh, even though it would be English, uh, an English, English then and English now. Um, but you have to adapt. You have to move with the times. And you're absolutely right. I mean, the game is more complex, I think, than it used to be. When I began commentating, uh, for example, goalkeepers were allowed to pick up the, the pass back, you know, um, and that was one of the first radical changes that came in. And, and moving forward from there now into the VAR world. And obviously, when I covered the Bundesliga for the World Fee, that's something we have to be very much on top of. And to the great credit of everyone affiliated with the Bundesliga, uh, that was something that uh, they spent a lot of time on in terms of educating commentators and producers alike as to the exact procedure around VAR. So, um, so yeah, it, it's, uh, it's been fun to, to move with the times and to see these different changes come in. What do you think? I suppose we can't really avoid the question now. What is your opinion on VAR? Obviously, it's not inside the Bundesliga at the moment. It is scheduled to come in next year. There's been a lot of resistance to it from German football fans, and I know a couple of Nuremberg fans especially who have told me that they actually look forward to getting relegated again if it weren't to stay in Zweite Bundesliga, which um, is an interesting way to look at things, I suppose. How? What is your take on it? I have to admit that from the very start, I've been a proponent. When I say from the very start, I mean, you know, in the last two or three years. If you'd asked me this question 10, 15 years ago, I think I would have said, no, I'm a traditionalist. I absolutely uh, have no truck at all with with video replays. That's not how we do it in football. But um, it began to, to strike me when I was working in Scotland in particular, that fans were bringing their smartphones to games and were actually watching the feeds of matches that I was involved with and were immediately looking at scenes from the game and knowing exactly what happened in a way that the officials didn't. And it's when I, when I started hearing about that that I thought, well, there's something wrong here. There's a disconnect here because um, the officials should not be disadvantaged in this way. So um, obviously having studied how they do it in American sports and in rugby and in cricket in the UK, um, I think it's been clear for a while that we've had to do something on the technological front. So I, I've been behind it from the start. Yes, it had its teething problems. Um, you know, one or two issues the first few months in the Bundesliga when it came in. But I thought in the second part of last season, it got better. 
again, you know, there's always going to be one or two problems. But uh, I have to say that I am very much in the camp um, uh, of being uh, pro-VAR, and I think that there's far more good than bad in it. not expecting everyone to agree with that view, but it's certainly my view. I myself am not a great fan of VAR, but nevertheless, I do think um, it's interesting how they've tried to take little bits and pieces from different sports and try and adapt it to football. One of those sports that you do commentate on quite a regular basis is American football and the NFL. How have you found that? That's been a huge uh, challenge, actually, uh, Johnny. It's something that came more or less out of nowhere. Just to give people the background, I was based in London. I was in the UK for the best part of eight years until we made the decision to move back to the USA where I was before, back to the Boston area. I'm talking to you now from the Boston area. Um, so in the summer of 2017, I moved back and really didn't have any huge plans other than to still come to Germany regularly to work on the Bundesliga and a few other projects. But that was offered to me by the people who run Amazon's um, sports uh, service. I was going to say sports TV, but it's sports streaming. And what they wanted to do was they wanted to provide a commentary that was unlike anything that had been done before with the NFL on the Thursday night games. And that meant um, a, an English commentary that had, um, if you like, a Champions League or, or Premier League feel to it. That's how it was put to me. So um, that's what we did. Um, we went with it. And again, I, I know a little bit about uh, the sport. Obviously, I'm not an expert. I, I would never describe myself as such. But um, it's been great fun. And we're now into our second year. And my partner, actually, is, is a, a longtime friend and old colleague of mine from ESPN who hails from, uh, from County Louth in the Republic of Ireland, Tommy Smith, the name I'm sure you probably know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, we, we, it's given us a chance to sort of put our own personalities across with the NFL, uh, making it sound different. And funnily enough, the, the biggest response that we get is actually from Americans who find it a little bit, uh, you know, different and maybe refreshing in comparison with what they're used to hearing. So, um, so yeah, that's been terrific fun. That's actually a nice lead into my next question, which is, do you almost have to adapt your commentary to different audiences? There's different nuances and, and whatever that goes with each nation when it comes to following football or comes to following the NFL. Obviously, you know, for British people, maybe saying defence and offence is a little bit strange from saying attack and defence. But nevertheless, I do think that um, it's something that you would obviously have to take into consideration, especially when it comes to football. Well, I think that fundamentally the job is the same no matter who you're talking to. But clarity and context are both important. So, you know, it would be incongruous if you were talking to, say, an American audience, as I was broadcasting the World Cup from Russia for Fox Sports this past summer, if you were using, you know, terms all the time like Fortnite, uh, you know, which obviously we use routinely in, in the UK to... to um, to talk about a two-week period. But in America, people don't talk about a fortnight. So you sort of have to be conscious that there are certain things that, that you, you, you say to one audience that you wouldn't say to another. And it works both ways. You know, there are certain American words or American, um, you know, uh, orientated words that just wouldn't apply to the UK audience. But I think you have to be yourself. And I think people hire you to, to be you, not to be someone else. So it's striking that balance. So, as I said, fundamentally, you do your own thing and you bring to the table your own style. But you do have to be conscious of, of who you're talking to. And this is why I think world feeds 
Um, I mentioned that the Bundesliga World Feed earlier. World Feeds have their own challenges because you are talking to so many different nations at the same time and you sort of have to find a, a sort of a middle way, a neutral middle way of, of conveying things. Before we make our way back onto football, I have to ask, given that absolute classic between the Chiefs and the Rams last night, as we look back on it now, the Saints are obviously doing very well too. I'm a Packers fan, Matt's a Vikings fan. We're obviously not going to win the Super Bowl as things stand, but uh, who would your tip be to, to go all the way and win it? Well, it, it really was a cracker, wasn't it? The um, the Rams-Chiefs game. The Rams, to me, have been the most entertaining team I've seen all year. And, uh, well, you know, we'll see uh, how it goes. I think it will be a team from the NFC this year. Um, it's interesting that Matthew's a Vikings fan because I've got a little soft spot for the Vikings. I wouldn't call myself a fan as such, but I've always felt a bit... Sorry for the Minnesota Vikings because they've come close before and never quite done it. And then they had a few iffy results at the start of this year. Um, I do think you've got to look at the New England Patriots, not just because they're the, the team from my area here in the Boston area, um, but because they usually find a way of, of getting close, no matter you know what predicament you think they're in. Um, so I, I think it will be one of um, the Rams the Chiefs, I'm going to say the Vikings as well, just for a bit of fun, uh, and, and the Patriots. I'll, I'll say the Rams, though. I, I still believe in this Rams team. I think the Rams have shown over the past couple of weeks, as you say, not only are they entertaining, but they. I think they have a ridiculous record of when it gets to a three-point margin. I think they've won every game this season, which speaks volumes about how they've done so far. But going back to football, um, we are here to talk about football, of mm. course. Um, Zweite Bundesliga is a passion of yours. It obviously started in the mid-1980s. Um, how has it grown since then, and has there been... We would quite often suggest that there maybe isn't the coverage for it and people would quite quickly come back and say there isn't the demand for it. I think we would all say that Zweite Bundesliga is a great league. Have you had any or many challenges trying to follow it from afar? Not so much in recent years. Um, I've been able to find more or less what I've needed to find through the various sources. And I have to tell you that um, radio for me is is what keeps me abreast of uh, of the Zweite Bundesliga. Now, I will tell you, and uh, and of course, I'm talking to somebody here, uh, Johnny, who, who is going to know everything there is to know about the great city of Köln, the, the cathedral city. Um, but I will tell you, that is the team that I have become a, a fan of over the years. And they weren't the first team that I watched in Germany, but... I think there is something sort of vaguely addictive about about the city and the team. And um, through listening to VDR 2, uh, which I have on most days, um, I, people say, what do you do during the day when you're working? I say, I have VDR 2 on in the background, which is <laughs> one of the biggest radio stations in Germany. I like their mix of music and news and sport. And what's great is that they will dip in and out of games, not just from the Bundesliga, but also the Zweite Bundesliga. So, you know, that's what I do when Kern are playing. I hear laughter in the background. I'm not sure if this is, <laughs> this is, if this is amusing everyone or uh, or this is just sort of what everybody does. But um, it, it really is one of the, the things that I spend a lot of time doing. And um, so I get a lot of my my uh, Zweite Bundesliga uh, content, obviously from the usual sources, from your your kickers and Sportbild, but um, VDR 2, thanks to the excellent voices and uh, production staff on there, I, I, get my, um, I get my requirements. 
I don't think I've ever heard of an American using Video Zwei to follow Zweite Bundesliga. So that's um, for the the people who continually ask me where to you know go and listen and and watch. I think uh, you've just given uh, Video Zwei a great recommendation there. Um, it's funny when we come back to maybe the FIFA side of things, at least when it comes to gaming. Uh, as soon as the new game came out, Matthew asked me had I got it, whatever, and. Um, I said, no, I'm going to wait a couple of days and then get it because I think I was actually going to Cologne and uh, had a couple of things to do. But came back and it was the podcast after that. Matthew asked, you know, how have things gone and whatever. I said, fine, fine, fine. And he says, the new FIFA's great. I, I was playing with Ingolstadt in the Champions League mode. And um, <laughs> Derek's pronunciation of Konstantin Kirschbaumer was absolutely spot on. Uh, Matthew, uh, I think this FIFA sort of section is uh, yours to take away. Thank you. Um, yeah, I guess I guess the question is is like you know being that FIFA is one of the popular most popular games in you know in gaming. How did that opportunity come about to, to commentate on the FIFA nineteen game? Well, I'll tell you what, Matthew. It really came from nowhere, and um, I was in the city of Dresden, um, about to go, in fact, to uh, a Zweite Bundesliga match last year, uh, <laughs> November time. And it was a freezing cold day, and I got an email from somebody connected with the video game business. It was all a little bit hush-hush at that point, um, but it was just basically asking about my interest in being involved um, with one of the, it was put to me, one of the biggest video games in the world. And, uh, you know, you don't hear that sort of thing every day. Uh, so, you know, I, I returned the, eventually returned the phone call um, and uh, we basically got to talking, and it emerged that it was EA Sports, and uh, they were very interested in in me as one of their commentators because they were about to finalise the purchase of the Champions League, which they hadn't had for several years, but were about to, to have the Champions League and the Europa League front and centre for FIFA 19. And uh, again, much to my delight, they'd been following my commentary career for a while <laughs> and had decided that I was the, the voice that they wanted to, to put on for the Champions League. And it goes back to, a lot of people might not know, but the Champions League was sort of my bread and butter when I was living here in America uh, previously, before I moved to the UK in 2010. Uh, I'd been with ESPN broadcasting the Champions League to a world audience. And ESPN at that stage had the Champions League for many territories around the world, in Africa, in Australia. Uh, Matthew might remember that. Um, in um, Latin America and also, of course, in the USA and in Canada. So um, so it went back to those days. And uh, I think producers look for a specific sound for the FIFA game, which might not be exactly the same as what is looked for on TV. So it, you know, it doesn't stand to reason that somebody who is, is excellent on TV will necessarily have a voice that fits in perfectly with FIFA. At least that might be the, the view from the production side of it. But um, that's how it started. And we got talking and was I interested? And we took it from there. And uh, a few weeks later, we began recording. And, and we did, I think, 25 days in total in a studio uh, to get it all done for the first year of, um, of the Champions League package. And... Um, so, yeah, I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who are, are sick of the commentators saying the same things over and over again. <laughs> but um, but hopefully the other side of it is that people enjoy it. And, and I'm glad that those Ingolstadt names all came out nicely because that is a big part of what we do is making sure that the names are 
100% right. And obviously, being a German speaker, the um, the German language aspect of it is especially important to me. So then, like, I guess I'd lead on with. So you did 25 days of recording and stuff like. Um, is it is it different, co- like co- commentating on lines that they kind of pre-give you compared to you know commentating a live action game? Well, the great thing is that they don't actually give us pre-scripted lines. Um, what what EA Sports do is, and the producer I work with on the project, Santi Jaramillo, is a fantastic guy, very creative. What he would say to me is, okay, here's the scenario. You know, it's a corner kick and, um, you know, a big tall defender is going to head it just narrowly over the top. Can you give me that as if you're commentating, but give it to me, you know, eight different ways, you know, or, uh, you know, here's a... a a direct free kick from say 25 yards out uh you know he's hit it really well but the goalkeeper has made a great save give me that 10 different ways so by doing that what they allow us as commentators to do is they allow us to put our own imprint on it and to find the words that we would use organically rather than just copying someone else so so that's um that's what we do and you know, it, mentally and, and vocally, it can be quite challenging because you're in there for several hours and you're you know constantly trying to find inspiration as a commentator and you want it to, to keep on sounding fresh as you're going. Um, so, you know, we try to keep going without a break for as long as possible. Then we'll take a little break and then go back to it again. And when I say 25 days, it's not 25 days in a row. It's, you know, maybe two or three days here, two or three days there. And then we eventually finished it last year uh, around the, well, actually just after the World Cup, sort of towards the end of July. Okay. Um, I guess then, have, have you played the game yourself? Um, did they, did EA give you the opportunity to play, you know, FIFA 19 and and have like an impression on, on the game and, and how you sound in the game? Yeah, they were very good as we were going along um, about sort of sending us little updates. So we would finish our session and Lee Dixon, uh, former Arsenal and England defender, is my co-commentator on the game. So so when Lee and I would finish our sessions, they would say, oh, look, here's an update that's come through from Vancouver, where the headquarters are. You know, have a, have a watch and a listen to this. So um, it would, you know, be, be constant sort of building blocks. We would do our little bit and then it takes you know, a few days and a few weeks to sort of update, input everything that we've done. And it, it would just, you know, get get bigger and, and better as, as it went along. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, it, it is remarkably lifelike, I think, on all fronts. I think most people agree, just everything from the graphics to the, the look of the players, and then hopefully the, the commentary blends in with that. So, I have um, been able to play it um, subsequently, uh, have enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, from time to time, I shout at the commentator as well and say, why did you, why did you describe it like that? But, uh, but no, it, it is all part of the fun. And um, it's just a real honor to have been asked to do it and uh, uh, a great privilege. I think um, it's going to be interesting to see where FIFA does develop and with esports taking off around Germany as well. Um, quite a few side of Bundesliga teams actually have eSport teams as well, which uh, for me is interesting, especially when some of the actual Bundesliga sides don't, but uh, whether or not everyone catches on and we can have a, an actual side of Bundesliga of eSports and uh, we can follow and promote that as much as we like uh, remains to be seen. Um, I think we'll move on to some listener questions now and we'll start with uh, Dennis on Twitter. He asks, um, Derek, uh, what do you think of Jan Regensburg? He calls him the team of comebacks, the top team struggle against and uh, he asked will they beat St. Pauli this weekend 
Ooh, we definitely got one in terms of beating Zank Pauli, but it certainly hasn't gone unnoticed um, from my end, you know, how well Regensburg have been doing under Achim Bayalorza. I think un- unbeaten in quite a few now. I think seven or eight, uh, if memory serves me correctly. And and certainly on a better pace than they were last season. So um, we have to hope. Regensburg, another team I have a slight soft spot for because uh, growing up in Aberdeen in the northeast of Scotland, the, the, the twin city was Regensburg. And we used to have this festival every year where people would come from, from Regensburg in Bavarian costume and uh, and do their thing. And then a group of Aberdonians would go. I don't know what quite how the Aberdonians would dress, probably in, in the kilt, and uh, and do their thing in, in Regensburg every year. So, um, so I always sort of keep an eye out for them. And um, as I say, to beat to, to beat Zank Pauli, difficult one, I, I would say. Um, but uh, why not? I think um, it's going to be a tough one. That's one of our um, our big games this weekend. We'll discuss that a little later on. Um, Steel Penguin at Steel Penguin three. He's always good for a question, no matter what. Um, <laughs> he asks, "What are your favorite football clubs?" Obviously, we've heard um, that uh, you're a Köln fan when it comes to German football. But um, further afield, is it Aberdeen and uh, a few others? It's really, it's really just Aberdeen and um, and Köln. It's something that's developed in recent years, spending a lot more time in the city and getting to know the people and uh, and the whole Kosh culture and just the way of being and the the sort of the laissez-faire um, uh, atmosphere that permeates the city, which, which I, I absolutely love. The, the, the first German team that I supported, and I still keep an eye out for, but it's very hard because of where they are now in league terms. The first team that I, I ever saw um, was Hessen-Kassel, KSV Hessen-Kassel in the 1980s, who were then a second division team and pushing hard for promotion. And I kept sort of willing them on to promotion. It didn't quite happen, but that was the first game I ever saw in Germany, the second division game between Hessen Kassel and Victoria Aschaffenburg back in 1985. And um, I went to a string of home uh, home games for Hessen Kassel. They won all of them. They were a good team at that point. And um, so I always keep an, an eye out for them. Uh, I was studying not too far from there. So, so that was the, the connection with Hessen Kassel. But um, other than, than those two teams, um, I, I wouldn't really say that I'm a, a, a follower of anyone else. I, I, I have a liking for Brentford in England. And that's purely because when I lived in London, I was just about two train stops from Brentford and would often go there just to, to watch a game in, in midweek. So I'd call myself a Brentford sympathiser. I used to call myself a Kern sympathiser, but I think it's morphed into into a fully fledged uh, fan nowadays. I think I'll call myself an Aberdeen sympathiser simply because <laughs> of uh, Nal McGinn. And we'll add yourself into that bracket now too. Um, because of Nal McGinn, I've always had a, a little eye on how uh, they've done. And uh, I'm glad to see that uh, Derek McInnes is still keeping them in that top three bracket. Or, well, this season's yep. been a little bit more rough, but uh, hopefully uh, things can get back on track and they can keep pushing onwards. Um, at the Beats 14 asks, what is, well, he has four questions actually. He hasn't helped back uh, uh, his first one is what is the most underrated stadium you've been to in Germany most underrated stadium well um, whether it's underrated I don't know it's probably underrated by people who you know are unaware of its existence uh, but I'll give the award to Dresden 
And part of that is because of the the atmosphere that the fans generate. I like the way it's laid out. Uh, I enjoy the walk to the stadium. And um, I just think it's one that I would put on my list. If anybody were saying, where should I go to watch a game that you know, might be a slight surprise, I, I would I would give the nod to Dinamo Dresden. Um, there are probably a few others that um, that could f- fall in that category. Maybe uh, Köpenick, maybe the home of Union Berlin. But again, I think people maybe know about that a bit more. So uh, underrated for me, um, Dresden. I think um, most people have sort of fallen in love with Union over the the past couple of years, not least for that banner that appeared uh, when they went top of the league, uh, which was uh, very, very funny. So much so that they've now got an international uh, Twitter account run by a very fine Scotsman, Ross Dunbar. Uh, Yes. Might as well give him a shout out while we're here. He's doing a very, very good job. Um, Indeed. Uh, the Beats also asks, uh, what is the difference between going to a match in Erste Bundesliga and Zweite Bundesliga? Um, I'm not sure if there's a huge difference. And I say that because, um, you know, last season, for example, I went to a couple of Fortuna Dusseldorf games and, you know, asking myself the question, did they feel different in comparison with going to, say, Kern games in the top flight, you know, other than the, the unique dynamics of, of the, the two clubs? I'm not sure. Um, I think it depends where you go. I think once you go to some of the the smaller venues, that then you might have that different feel. I think when Darmstadt were in the, the top division, I think it did give those Bundesliga games in Darmstadt something of a, a Zweite Bundesliga feel, a bit more old school. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I think the, the second division just, it has a bit more charm. It's a bit more intimate. Uh, I mean, one of my favourites is Bochum to go to, uh, which is just a bit smaller scale. And you seem to be sort of closer to everything. You know, when you when you get off the tram there in Bochum, the stadium's right in front of you. There's no big walk, you know, sort of around a, a vast stadium, the, the, the sort of thing that you experience now if you go somewhere like Frankfurt, for example, where you, where you do feel as though you're, you're far removed or, um, you know, the, the the best or worst example of that being the Olympiastadion in, in Berlin. I think you could probably walk for about... What, 10 hours getting around that one? <laughs> it's, um, I'm glad to hear you mentioned Bochum as a Bochum fan. That is uh, great to hear that you uh, love coming there. I don't think I've heard oh, yes. um, anyone who has had a negative experience. Eva uh, got rained on, got Poirot, everything <laughs> went wrong that day. Um, but apart from that, I think uh, generally everyone seems to, to like going to the Ruhr Stadion. Uh, the Beats uh, will give it the, the final question from him, this one anyway. A uh, bit of a strange one, but he asked, would Celtic win Zweite Bundesliga? I think we uh, we would all know the answer to that one, perhaps. <laughs> um, yeah, I think they should win the Zweite Bundesliga because their budget is bigger than, than any team in the Zweite Bundesliga at the moment. And um, yeah, I think they'd be disappointed if, if they, they didn't when you consider that Celtic are are um, actually doing quite well in the Europa League this season and, and beat RB Leipzig, no less, um, quite recently, then, yeah, I think that um, if it ever came to pass, I think you'd have to fancy Celtic to win the, the Zweite Bundesliga. 
I think Celtic would be very warmly welcome given the, the amount of German clubs that uh, sing you'll never walk alone or have a little <laughs> bit of a tie to Celtic. So uh, who it's knows? <laughs> we'll maybe have a few pre-season friendlies to look forward to in coming years. But um, I suppose just to bring it back to Zweite Bundesliga more in a general sense, what have you thought of the league this year, Derek? Obviously, Köln had a bit of a, a tricky spell over the last couple of weeks, but then bounced back in the most remarkable fashion against Dynamo. Yeah, not too many of us saw that one coming, you know, the, the margin of victory against Dresden, but much needed for Kern. I was beginning to worry a little bit. I mean, I don't think anybody thought this was going to be straightforward um, because it does have its own challenges, the, the Zweite Bundesliga. And, uh, you know, the fact that you have Hamburg and Kern uh, in the same division, I think, has made it more interesting for a lot of people. I think it's good news if you're a Zweite Bundesliga fan because it has had the effect of focusing more attention on the league. It's maybe not such great news if you're a fan of, say, Bochum or uh, or one of the teams pushing for promotions, and Pauli, uh, although they've done very well, perhaps a bit better than I expected this season. Union seem to sort of be there or thereabouts every season now. And I do think it's only a matter of time before we have another Berlin team in the Bundesliga. And I think that would be a, a very welcome addition and, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see where Hertha go in, in the years ahead with their plans to, to, to move into a new stadium. But, but I think Union have something to contribute on the other side of Berlin, on the eastern side of Berlin there in, in Copenhagen. I think it's been, it's been thoroughly compelling. I think that um, at the moment it's hard to say who's going to get relegated. Uh, and I think that's always the question in the Zweite Bundesliga. And maybe we should just wait until uh, you know two weeks before the end of the campaign because it usually comes down to a scramble between six or seven, seven <laughs> clubs and one win can vault you right out of bottom spot and up into um, to 12th or something like that. I mean, last season was absolutely crazy, wasn't it, um, in those final few weeks? But I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed having a team to follow in the Zweite Bundesliga. In fact, I might whisper this, but... In many respects, I've actually enjoyed it more with Kern being in the second division than being the the whipping boys that they were for most of last season in the top flight. I mean, there is something to be said for um, rejuvenating, re-energizing your side by having to drop down a division uh, and fans actually enjoying winning again. And um, you know, I think Kern have been something of a, as they say in German, a Fahrstuhlmannschaft, a, a, a yo-yo team, to use the English term. Um, uh, you know, too often uh, over the course of the last 20 years. But um, I'm not sure that this Zweite Bundesliga experience will do them any harm. And the same might apply to Hamburg. In fact, Hamburg probably have needed this for, for a long time, probably should have gone down before this. I think um, most Hamburg fans would, would be very, very happy to hear that. And the fact that they're managing to keep clean sheets and win games is maybe an alien concept to some of the younger supporters of the team. But uh, good yeah. for them, nevertheless. Um, I, I suppose we can't really talk about Köln and Zweite Bundesliga without mentioning the arrival of a certain Frenchman back to the city. Uh, Anthony Modeste is back in the squad. Uh, and I think... You know, to have Simon Terada, John Cordoba, uh, Cyril Gurassi, Simon Sola, who most people seem to forget about, even though he is very, very good inside the Bundesliga, and you add Anthony Modeste into that lineup, um, I think it redefines the, the term embarrassment of riches. It certainly does. And it's interesting, isn't it? They sign Modeste just on the back of playing two up front, you know, playing the two together, who I think the fans have wanted to see playing together in. 
Simon Terode and John Cordoba. And now you add Modeste to the mix and you think, well, the sky really ought to be the limit for Kern. Um, but, you know, you wonder if, it, 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 to use a play on words, if it is going to be a, a neuer Anfang, as they say in Germany, a, a new beginning. And, of course, the, the second meeting there is with the, the coach as well, with with Marcus Anfang and with, um, with Modeste beginning um, uh, under uh, this new coach. Um, you know, I, I think it was always a, a, a marriage sort of made in heaven. And um, yes, everybody was disappointed when he left. I suppose you could understand why, uh, you know, a lot of money changing hands there for, for that to happen. But if you just go back to what Modest did, um, you know, that amazing season where everything he touched seemed to, to turn to goals, just a little bit of that would do. And you know, certainly when you look at the current squad, and we said this at the start of the season, didn't we? Uh, looking at that squad, it really should be a, a team that, that bounces straight back. And yes, they had one or two problems, but um, you know, looking at everything, looking at the fact that they, they already were scoring goals, that hasn't really been the issue. It's been more preventing them, and that's something that they do have to, to tighten up and I'm sure we'll be looking at. But um, you know, with all those natural goal scorers in their ranks... Uh, I, I'm still pretty confident that Köln are, are going to be back and, and hopefully as Sveita Bundesliga champions. <laughs> I think um, they've more than earned that tag, especially with their strikers alone in some of their summer editions. Derek, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us today. We're sorry for taking you away from your beloved Scotland. It's uh, half time as it stands right now. I'm not quite sure what the score is, but I do hope they're winning for you. Well, I've been so engrossed in our Zweite Bundesliga competition, a uh, conversation rather, that I, ha- I haven't even bothered to check what the score is. But uh, we'll get back to that. But listen, thank you very much for having me on, guys, and and uh, you know, kudos to all of you for everything you do in terms of promoting a, a league that we all love and uh, a league that uh, perhaps in the future more people will pay attention to. Super duper, Derek. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll maybe have you on again sometime. Who knows? Anytime, Johnny. Thanks a lot, guys. Yes, that was a wonderful chat with Derek Ray, and I do hope that you all enjoyed that. I know that we certainly did, but from Derek's wonderful chat and uh, his fantastic stories, we have to move on to the nitty-gritty of Zweite Bundesliga, and that begins with our Match Day 14 preview. We will, of course, take a look at your questions once we are done and dusted with Group 3. So, let's begin, and we're going to have to start. I think it's the only place that we can really begin with the Monday night game. It is HSV against Union. Matthew, how's this one going to go? I expect it to be tight. I mean, you know, especially coming off the international break, um, neither team will look to drop points. I think, you know, you'd probably give the edge to Hamburg. They've been able to curb um, their defensive woes a bit um, under Hannes Wolf. And uh, I think that that, They'll make it very difficult for for Union to to, to break them down. Um, you know, it should be a very interesting game. You, you look at if if Hamburg are beaten, it you know everyone closes up again, and we've got an extremely tight race. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see if Union can um, build on their performance uh, against Fertz. Yes, plenty on the line in this one, and it is 
probably a good chance for Union to outline their credentials as the best of the rest. They might be level with St. Pauli on 23 points, but Union have scored the same amount of goals but have conceded 10 less. I think their defensive record this season speaks for itself and only Köln actually have a better goal difference in them after 13 games. Um, Eva, which way do you see this one going on Monday evening? Yeah, so I think that Hamburg needs a win to keep both Union and Köln and maybe even St. Pauli away from the first place. So, um, yeah, I think a win would be a bit more important for Hamburg and that's why I would go with them to win that because uh, although Union won, uh, Hamburg has a bit more confidence and has a really good defense since Hannes Wolf is um, the coach. So, yeah, I would go with a very interesting and very close match, but with one that Hannes uh, Wolf is going to win. Yeah, there is um, every chance that this could go either way. You would imagine that the host will be favourites going into this one. Uh, given the record in Monday night games this season, we'll not mention the first, and uh, they did, of course, beat uh, Köln as well. So uh, a win against Armenia will whisper quietly, and against Köln uh, leaves Haasau in a pretty confident position when it comes to these sorts of games. Whether or not Union will be able to overturn this, we'll have to see. It's a bit unfortunate for Union fans that uh, their games against Haasau and Köln have both fallen on Monday nights, but such as life inside the Bundesliga I suppose when you are one of the bigger and better sides you do unfortunately get stuck with these nasty is maybe the the most polite word I can use fixtures um we'll move on from HSV Union and head to Regensburg obviously Derek has already spoken very highly of them they take on St. Pauli at the weekend which is a big game in its own right Matthew could Jan possibly upset St. Pauli? I don't think it would be much of a surprise, but it would put them level on points with the Hamburg side. Yeah, I think they're a really good chance. They've showcased their ability to find ways to get results uh, this season. Um, they showcased it on the last match day against Magdeburg, coming from 2-1 down, and then we, were, we won't say too loudly, but they, you know, they managed to steal a point in Borkum. So um, it's it's obvious that they've got, you know, a great fighting spirit, um, no matter what the scoreline is. They've got good talent around and, um, you know, I think they've, they've found the consistency that they didn't have last season. They obviously struggled away from home. This being a home game, they've probably been not as good as they were last season, but they've, yeah, I think they've got the, they've definitely got the ability to, tr- to trouble St. Pauli on the weekend. Yeah, it's um, it's all shaping up to be a very, very close game. Eva, do you see Jan maybe just about nicking this, or will St. Pauli's reasonably solid defence this season? It's not been anything spectacular. It's been much better than it was last year, though. Um, can they manage to hold Jan out? Yeah, so uh, I think that Regensburg is a bit more effective in the offen- offence than what we said already. Um and they're never really down, so you can never say, okay, the other team is 2-0 or whatever in lead, that the game is done. 
But I think an important fact to notice is that St. Pauli is better away than Regensburg is at home. So that might be an interesting fact to look at. Um, all in all, I think it's going to be a very interesting game. Um, I'm not quite sure if we're going to have a winner, so I'm probably going with a draw here. I think I'll sit on the fence for that one as well. And our final game of Group 1 is Darmstadt against Köln. It is going to be one of the final games where the Gegenglade is standing at uh, at the Bullenfall Tour, which is a shame. It is one of the most, um, I don't know, real stadiums, if you can say that. It is very, very gritty. And you know what you get into when you end up in the Bulla and... Uh, you don't even need a roof. Um, that's uh, a mystery and a myth. Um, anyone who says otherwise, I can show you pictures of the one visit where I went and it was really, really sunny. And um, I'm led to believe it's like that every time. Uh, Matthew, uh, is this going to be uh, the game where we see Anthony Modest manage to make his second debut for Köln? Or um, will he be happy come full time? Or can Darmstadt spring a real surprise in this one? Yeah, I'm backing Köln to win this one. I think, um, yeah, they just have the ability going forward to, to, to create all sorts of havoc. And we saw against Dresden how damaging they can be when they're effective going forward. Um, I would suggest if Modest makes his debut, it'll probably come off the bench. It, I think it'll be interesting to see if uh, Marcus Anfang remains with, with that um, 3-5-2 formation with the two men up front. Um, it was obviously it worked very well last time out. It will be interesting to see if he maintains that formation against Darmstadt. It certainly will. Um, Eva, are you backing up Matthew there? Um, it should be yeah. a Köln win, really. Yeah, definitely. They have a lot of confidence after that recent game, and um, it's quite interesting to see that uh, Darmstadt and Köln have the same amount of conceded goals, actually. But Köln is just really, really good in the offense. Um, and I would say as well that Modest is probably, if he he's starting or if he, he's playing, he comes from the bench. So that maybe he is good for Golden, but I would definitely say that Köln is going to win. And actually, I think they need the win to yeah build up a bit of consistency to see okay we're not only going to win one game 8-1 and then going back to just drawing or losing so yeah i hope for their sake that they're going to win as well a win for Köln would take them back to the top of the bundesliga albeit perhaps temporarily given that Hasfau and Union meet on Monday evening. And I'm not going to start singing the Anthony Modest song, but if you haven't heard it, Modest, Modest, Anthony Modest will be in your head, I'm sure, because uh, I would well imagine that your television provider will let you hear that at some point if he does manage to make his return to playing action with Köln this weekend. But we're going to move on from Köln, move into Group 2 and kick off with Eva's Armenia Bielefeld next. Yes, Armenia's game against MSV Duisburg is where we will begin our coverage of Group 2. And Matthew, it's a must-win game for both sides, really. Absolutely. And uh, well, if you look at Bielefeld in particular, I mean, they're not coming in in great form. You know, winless in their last six, and they're going to lose Edmondson to injury. And it's a massive loss. He's 
you know, been involved in 50% of the goals uh, in the league this season and um, finding a replacement for that is going to be quite difficult. Um, Duisburg have a really have a decent record in Bielefeld. Their last two results in all competitions was a 4-0 win um, last season in the league and then just recently they beat them in the Cup 3-0. So, um, you know, you'd probably tilt towards Duisburg, but um, you would expect Bielefeld to come out firing knowing that they really need a win. I'm going to say Armenia will win this one as I continue my reign of positivity uh, on the team. Or maybe I should say that they're going to lose because that will jinx them to win. I'm not quite sure where to go about this. Um, Eva, how are you feeling ahead of this one? You did have some uh, very nice coincidental stats from after Derek was talking about um, Hessen Castle. Uh, why don't you share those? Yeah, so actually uh, this season he was talking about in 1985-1986, Armenia won both games against Hessen-Kassel and won 3-1 at home against Duisburg. So I just take that as a good sign. No, but uh, seriously, it's a really important game. It's what you probably call a six-points game. Um, They both drawed on match day 13. Um, Bielefeld with a really disappointing yeah, performance, I would say. Um, so Duisburg comes here again after only three weeks with a bit more confidence, um, knowing that they already managed to win against us. Um, it's a shame that Edmondson is not only missing because of his fifth yellow card, but also is injured. And so there's, again, no consistency in the starting eleven even if uh, Zabina would go with that this time, which is a real shame because that is everything we need right now. Um, the only thing that I'm really positive about is that um, a lot of fans are really happy uh, about the like what came out in the uh, selling of the stadium which was quite successful for Armenia, I guess. And maybe that, I don't know, give the final push for, for Armenia to say, okay, we have to, we have to show a, a reaction and I hope they will win, but I'm not saying they will win. I think it's going to be a close one, but I think we would all suggest that we would like to see Eva's Armenia come out on top in this one. We'll move on from Armenia and head to Kiel as Holstein Kiel take on Esfalsenhausen. Matthew, Kiel haven't lost at home this season. You would imagine that that would still be the case after full time in this one. Yeah, you would imagine. imagine, And they're going to have plenty of opportunities on goal. We've seen under Koshina that Sandhausen are a bit more attacking-minded. And with that in mind, um, they are a little bit more vulnerable defensively. Um, you know, we should expect the likes of Yanni Lucasera uh, to to get his name on the score sheet, and I think it should be a comfortable win for for, uh, for Holstein Kiel. Eva, would you echo that? Yeah, definitely. Although Zandhausen needs a win, especially um, no matter how that Bielefeld Duisburg game will turn out. Um, and Kiel has no trouble with finding the back of the net. And um, maybe after that Paderborn game, they will put a uh, bit more um, focus on the defense work. But 
yeah, I would agree. Kiel is much more likely to win that. I think it's going to be quite a close one, actually. I think Kiel will nick it 2-1, but I think Sennhausen will manage to keep themselves in the game for long enough. But as we saw against Dynamo, they managed to do that and uh, still came out on the wrong side of that result. We'll see if they can perhaps change their fortunes around in that one. Speaking of Dynamo, they are our final game of Group 2. They welcome Ingolstadt to Dresden. Matthew, this is... Well, it should be a win for Dynamo even after that 8-1 defeat. They've got to get back on track. But at the same time, it's a chance for Mike Valpurgis to prove himself against his former employers and really heap the pressure on Alexander Nuri. Yes, and revenge is a dish best served cold. And I'm sure Mike Valpurgis would like to showcase to his former employers that sacking him three games into last season was the wrong decision. Um, you know, History suggests that Ingolstadt has... The, the better record over Dresden. Uh, Dynamo have only won once uh, in all competitions against Ingolstadt, and that came in the Dritter League back in 2010. But there is no time to beat, um, to break a record then uh, this weekend. So I think, I think Dresden have the players, and I really think that you know Ingolstadt are in such a rut that it's going to be very difficult for them to get a result in Dresden. It certainly will be. Eva, do you think they can uh, somehow start and turn their fortunes around here? Yeah, I don't think so. They once again had a quite decent performance against Armenia, but no big points even. I would say rather, yeah, not good team at the moment. Um, it's going to be a tough match for both sides, I would say anyway, because Dresden is in desperate need of, an, of a reaction after that current match. But... They still are in the better place in the table, and Ingolstadt is not. He, they just don't manage to get themselves out of the situation. So, yeah, I'm going to back that and say Jason is going to win. It's hard to argue against that. And we're going to move on from Group 2 to Group 3 and look ahead to a game that maybe could have been a little bit higher up in our packing order. Matthew certainly had it that way. It's Heidenheim against Paderborn. Yes, Group 3 does begin with a trip to Heidenheim where they welcome Paderborn. This could be an absolute goal fest, especially if Paderborn alone or anything to go by. Matthew, are we going to see goals and which side is going to end up on top in this one? Well, we can only hope, but you know, when we uh, we talk up a game to to, to be goal a goal fest, uh, it ends up as a nil nil. So we we uh, hope the the reverse jinx works. Um, I think Heidenheim are going to win. Um, I really like the way they've played in the past few past few weeks. They they play really good football. Um, you know, the Schnatterer Dovidan uh, tandem has been really good. I think Nicholas Dorsch in midfield has. You know, really asserted himself as 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 one of the staples in the side, and um, you know their ability to find goals no matter who's up front has been really impressive. And I think that with the defence that Paderborn has at the moment, which is quite leaky, I think they have a really good chance to put three three goals past them and, and secure three points. Heidenheim are one of the sides that are stuck on twenty points at the moment. Uh, Paderborn just behind them on eighteen. It's going to be interesting to see if uh, one of those sides can break out of that I do beg your pardon there are four sides on 20 points it would help if I could read uh, Eva who do you think is going to come out on top in this one 
Yes, it's going to be quite interesting because Heidenheim has one of the best defense in the league, with Paderborn having one of the best offense of the of the league. Um, but Paderborn is not that good away as they are at home. So I will go in back Matthew with that and say Heidenheim is going to win. Um, but still, quite interesting match unless Paderborn is. Uh, focusing a bit too much on the defense after that Kiel game. Um, yeah, but we're going to see how that one turn out, will turn out, but I'm still going for Heidenheim. I'm going to go for a four-all draw because that's what Paderborn do best, and Heidenheim are doing as well. Uh, I don't think that'll happen, but you never know. Maybe that's just what I need to get myself kick-started and kicked up again, and I haven't looked at the table for the last couple of weeks for fear of seeing how far down I am. Uh, next up, it is Greuterfurt against Magdeburg. Um, Magdeburg will be coming into this game with a new coach. Mikael Uning is the new man at the helm there. Whether or not he can get things started in the right manner remains to be seen. Matthew, do you think he can get the better of Damir Boric in this one? I don't think so. I mean, you know, Furt themselves are coming off a, a large loss, even though the score is quite flattering. And, and I think, you know, it was just a blip in a row. They've proven they're a lot better at home. And, and I think, um, you know, Magdeburg are really going to struggle to to not only break down that defence, but, um, you know, stop the, the attacking force that, that um, Furt possesses. Yeah, it certainly will be a tricky task. Eva, do you see them having any luck with this one? Yeah, so they're both not really going in that um, match with a lot of confidence, although Magdeburg has a new coach. But um, I think because Magdeburg needs a win very, very much, uh, especially with Bielefeld, Duisburg and um, Kiel Sandhausen, um, I think that Fürth is going to win. Um, because they want to to show a reaction as well. And, yeah, they're just in a better place at the moment. Uh, anyway, so, yeah. It's hard to look past foot, especially when they are at home. And our final game of Match Day 14, we have saved the best till last. Do not worry about that. It is VfL Bochum against Eitzgebirge Aue. It's a chance for Bochum to continue to close the gap on those top two. Whether or not they'll be able to do so remains to be seen. How very Bochum it would be to pass up a chance to do so. But... Uh, we can cross our fingers and hope for the best, perhaps. Matthew, do you see uh, the Ruhrstadion outfit managing to get three points here, or can our sting in their tail? Yeah, I think I think Borkham will take the three points. Uh, they've got a really good record against our. Uh, they're unbeaten in the last seven, and um, surprisingly, considering both teams, you know, aren't particularly big goal scorers. Um, in their last eight games, both teams have been able to find the back of the net in all competitions when they've played each other. So um, we should expect goals. Um, but I think I think Borkham just have the quality that, that our lack going forward. And I think it'll be you know a tight game, but I think it'll be uh, Borkham that'll take the win. Eva, are you siding with the home side when it comes to this one? Yes, I will. Because, um, yeah, Borkham has a lot of confidence after that win finally and not conceding a goal last minute so yeah I will go ahead and beg your ball home and say they're going to win 
hopefully that is the case, although with how dangerous our can be, uh, we've certainly seen it in some games this season, and they definitely give uh, Haas Fawa a scare before the international break. I certainly won't be counting my chickens before they hatch, and unfortunately that even means when you're two goals to the good, you can't celebrate anything. And we will round off our podcast this week with some questions from you guys. Everyone's favourite, Steel Penguin, at Steel Penguin 3 on Twitter, asked with Fawaf Bay. Hanover and Fortuna looking poor. Could the third place team in the Bundesliga have a chance to get promoted this year? Matthew. I want to say yes, but you know it's so rare that the third place team gets the win. I think it's happened only twice since 2008. So as much as I want to say yes, probably not. The curse is real. Eva, do you think this might change anytime soon? Yeah, I don't know, especially because there is no clear third place yet. So I think it's a bit too early in the season to to answer that question, for me at least. Um, it really depends who who is um, the the other side uh, in the Bundesliga. So I can't really answer that. We will see. Uh, Stefan at Weinachslax asks, sorry guys, gotta ask this, which forward lineup would you pick for Köln and why? Given that uh, Anthony Modeste will get the right to play soon, um, I would say as well, he has thanked us for our hard work on the podcast and says keep up the good work. Thank you very much Stefan for listening in, it is very much appreciated and thank you for your question. Matthew, we'll keep this uh, fairly quick fire with the reasoning, I think... um, it's uh, it's quite easy to get bogged down in this one when it comes to trying to pick one of uh, Cohn's strikers to line up beside Modest. Um, who would you go for? Um, There's only one right answer. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> I'll go with Cordoba because he can offer a, a similar look to Osako when uh, when they were together. I don't think Torada fits well with Modest. That is fair enough. Um, Eva, which which line would you go down with that one? Um, I think it's early for Modest to start, so I think uh, Tirada is probably going to start. Um, yeah, but uh, I I think they're going to start quite uh, yeah similar to to the starting eleven uh, against Dresden, so. Yeah, but I don't know. I'm not the coach, so we don't know what Marcus Anfang has in his mind. It will be very interesting to see who he does pop in beside Anthony Modest, presuming that he does get his right to play, as uh, Stefan says. Um, I think in terms of, from a completely different perspective, what... um, what Anthony Modest will offer is um, a great tutor to the likes of Cordoba and Serukuasi, who could really use someone who has experience in scoring plenty of goals in the Bundesliga. And it'll be interesting to see what six months learning with him will do when or if. Perhaps that's maybe the the least cocky way to put it, but I think we all know that um, Kuhn will be up there come the end of the season. Our final question comes from Louis Ostrowski at Ostrolu. Um, I've managed to get through that one. Normally, as Matthew will tell you, I normally make an absolute mess of these. We had one podcast earlier on in the season where it took me three takes to do someone's name. 
Thankfully, that is not the case this evening, uh, although it is starting to get a little bit late. Um, it's role reversal this week uh, from what we're normally used to. Uh, Lewis asks, obviously, Tyrod will be top goal scorer this season. I like how you think. But I noticed that Paderborn's Philip Clement is second top goal scorer with eight. As a player who, with a very unremarkable career before this year, playing in midfield for a mid-table team, how good is he and how has he got so many goals? Matthew, take it away. Well, he's very good, good by feet. But his main strength is the dead ball situation. Uh, half of his goals this season have come from either free kicks or penalties, or well, three of them from free kicks. I think he scored two against Ingolstadt. Um, so that's where he gets most of his goals from. Uh, very left-sided. He's a left-sided player naturally, and um, you know his ability to create chances and get players forward. He's a he's a he's a very good player. I mean. You know, learn under Mainz and, and Nuremberg at, at junior level. And I think if he can continue to, to almost replicate a Sonny Kittle-type season from last season, uh, it wouldn't be a surprise if, if clubs like a Hanover or um, or or even a Mainz would come back and, uh, and try and um, bring him back. So I think it would be, you know, he, he's going to attract some attention at some point. Eva, would you back that up? I think... Um... Even though it is Paderborn, we'll whisper quietly. Um, I think it's hard not to be impressed with how well uh, Philip Clement has done this season. Yeah, but I yeah, it's quite impressive, and that again shows uh, that we are in second Bundesliga, so everything is possible. That even uh, a player that you don't really have on your list to be on one of the the top scorers of the league. Um, that that is just advertisement for the whole league that everyone can can be on top of things and I think uh, for Clement that is uh, a huge step uh, forward and a huge compliment for him as well. That is certainly true. And what better way to end off the podcast with that fine advertisement for the league? Um, Eva and Matthew, thank you very much once again. Pleasure as always. For me as well, thanks. Happy days. It is always a pleasure for me too. And it's a little bit nice to uh, not have to get up at silly o'clock to record the podcast. Although, Matthew, credit to you for powering on and Eva as well for going late into the night for this one. What remains to be said, if I could speak, and we will probably cut out my absolute mess of an attempt to do so, uh, is enjoy your weekend of Side of Bundesliga football. Goodbye. <laughs>